Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you. Our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, NFL football is back. I know that may not mean a lot to a lot of you guys, but it means a lot to me. I I watched a good amount of football this weekend. And, uh, you know, one team that played and had a great first week was our very own Robert Meyer Burnett, Seattle Seahawks. Rob, you must have felt good about that. John, not only did I feel good about the Seahawks' victory against the Colts, but I got new Seahawks merch. Ooh. I, had, I hadn't got a new jersey. I got a really cool pullover hoodie, official NFL gear, and it's uh, it's 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 worthy of the Jedi Knights of the Pacific Northwest. It was, and uh, there was a terrific Monday night game last night that had one of the craziest, weirdest endings I have ever seen in a regular season NFL game, uh, which was pretty nuts between the Ravens. Uh, and the Raiders. It was uh, pretty entertaining. Neither one of those are my teams, but I was watching the scandal. I'm like, ah, anyway, guys, it's awesome to have you here joining us today. And we do have a lot of things to talk about. So here's how today's going to show going to go. We're going to break up the show into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to take some predetermined topics. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to move on to your live comments and questions. If you have a live comment or question that you'd like to see read on the show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tech, the tip link down in the description of this video, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on one of the shows, if it's, of course, appropriate for our show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for your support. And speaking of support, our friend Connie Sang sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Connie. Appreciate that very much. Good to see you there. All right, guys. Before we get into the main topics here today, there are a couple things to talk about off the top. So let's get into those right now. And the first one is this. Rob, you remember that a few days ago, Uh, We were discussing the fact that there were a whole bunch of suitors. All the studios were lining up and making pitches to Christopher Nolan because Christopher Nolan had his next movie project in line with uh, Oppenheimer, the guy, one of the guys credited with creating the atomic bomb. And all the studios were lining up, including some non-traditional players like Netflix were lining up. They were saying like, we're willing to do whatever it takes to sign Christopher Nolan and get into the Christopher Nolan business. And all the studios were making pitches, including Warner brothers, a studio that Christopher Nolan was looking to divorce himself from, but you know, business is business. So let's see how that goes. Well, news just broke this morning. It is apparently now, according to, Uh, high-ranking sources from The Wrap and a few other uh, uh, outlets right now, that Christopher Nolan has departed Warner Brothers. Of course, he was completely unhappy with the way they managed their whole 2021 backstabbing all the movies and putting them on HBO Max and stuff like that. And he's now out. And the winner is, in the Christopher Nolan sweepstakes, looks like it's Universal. He has now gone over to Universal. Uh, This according to uh, our folks over at Cinema Blender right now. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
Uh, many studios like Warner Brothers uh, started to quickly pivot their release strategies to major films like Suicide Squad could premiere day and date streaming releases on HBO Max. The studio's actions in particular sent shockwaves to the entertainment industry, with one of the massive pieces of fallout being longtime Warner Brothers loyalist slash tenant director Christopher Nolan claiming that he'd be unlikely to work with the studio in the future. Now that threat has officially been carried out as Nolan's next project has found a home at Universal. And then they quote a, a comment that that's main story is coming to us out of the wrap. Rob, I mean, I thought that Warner Brothers would be in the running. I thought Warner Brothers would be in the running because despite the fact that he really seems to hate them right now, business is business. If Warner Brothers comes up and gives him the right offer and gives him the right guarantees and gives him the right money, business is business. But apparently that didn't happen. I also thought Netflix would be uh, in the running on that. I actually, I really thought he was going to go to Sony. I really thought he was going to go to Sony, but apparently he has found what he considers to be his right dancing partner in the folks over at Universal. And you know what? I think this is going to work really well. I think this is actually going to be a pretty decent fit for him. I was fast. I'm not going to lie to you though. I was fascinated at the prospects of Netflix because that would have made Netflix break their main tradition and actually put out theatrical exclusive films for a theatrical window first and then put it on the stream. It would have been really neat to see that happen. But I think Universal could be a good fit for him. Rob, you and I are both very interested in the movie itself. We, we've talked about that the other day. Yep. You here this morning, Christopher Nolan, he is uh, taking his talents to South Beach. He's going over to Universal. What do you think of the move? Well, I think it's I think it's good for Universal and bad for Warner Brothers that had a really long relationship with Christopher Nolan. And, you know, the thing to me about Warner Brothers is for many decades, they were a studio that had relationships with talent. I mean, they've been, I think Clint Eastwood's production company, Malpazo, has been at Warner Brothers for 50 years. Cry Macho is coming out from them. There was a lot of other filmmakers. Richard Donner was at Warner Brothers forever. Joel Silver was at Warner Brothers forever. They had these long, uh, deeply entrenched relationships with filmmakers because they were supportive of those filmmakers. And it's unfortunate uh, Nolan did so much great work. I know Interstellar was a co-production, but um, on one hand, you know what? Change is always a good thing. And I think Universal will give to Christopher Nolan the credibility and respect that he was craving after Tenet. And um, I can only think it's a good thing for both of them, both Universal and Nolan, because they've obviously made a commitment to theatrical releasing and uh, a movie that wouldn't necessarily traditionally get made. I mean, Warner Brothers, like I was amazed they made Dunkirk and it turned out to be a pretty big hit. And and now he's delving into another World War II story, this time on the other side of the pond and Oppenheimer and the creation of the atomic bomb, which is one of the, I think, most fascinating tales, the whole Manhattan Project in the 20th century, changing humanity forever. And uh, who, who better to do it than uh, Christopher Nolan? So I think it's a win for everybody here in a second with uh with the, the box office and all that kind of stuff so we're gonna look at that but i thought today it was really important for us to talk about this and this is a story that came out actually a number of days ago but we didn't have a chance to cover before and we should now and, and that's this we already know that china only accepts a certain amount of movies per year from america 
right? There's only so many foreign films that China allows. They have a, a limit, if you will, every year of how many films they were allowed to play there. Not every film gets to play in China. And not every film that doesn't play in China was banned from China. It just didn't make the list. But Shang-Chi is one of those films that obviously a lot of people feel, felt would play very well in China, but they never got the approval to play in China. And now that's still a hanging thing. By the way, there are some people who think that Shang-Chi has already been banned in China. As far as we know, it has not. It has not been banned in China. But it's just not been given approval yet either. That is still something that's in the air. But something happened the other day that has put an even bigger question mark on Shang-Chi's future in China, but maybe even more importantly, the future of Shang-Chi in the MCU at all, or the future of Simu Lu playing Shang-Chi in the future. And you guys, many of you have probably heard of this already. Basically, what happened is about a four or five year interview that Simu Liu did a number of years ago has resurfaced where he was asked about his parents coming over from China. And Simu Liu just said that, you know, his parents told him stories of China and he referred to China as a quote unquote third world nation where people were starving to death and spoke generally a little disparagingly of China. I've heard much worse, Rob. I've heard much worse, but he did make the kinds of comments that China doesn't take too kindly to. And I don't know about you, Rob, but if, you know, somebody calls your mother ugly, you are probably less likely to invite them over for dinner. Just saying. Now, I'm I'm not saying I agree with China here. Don't get me wrong. Don't misinterpret me. But, you know, if you call, if somebody calls your mother ugly, they're, they're probably not going to invite you over to their house for dinner. And in this case, it's cast a really big question mark over whether or not a comments like these coming out from him could hinder or impede their chances of getting Shang-Chi to play in China. Because we've already seen a lot of backlash over Chloe Zhao's comments, who's, of course, the director of Eternals, and now a lot of people don't expect that Eternals is going to be able to play in China at all. Now, some people may say, well, who cares if it gets to play in China or not? Well, that's easy to say when it's not your money. Right. China is the second biggest box office territory in the world. It represents a potentially huge windfall at the box office. And Rob, as, as you say so many times so accurately, this isn't show friends, it's show business. That's what it is. This is business. And so, Rob, I thought it would be interesting to ask the question. Theoretically speaking, let's say China doesn't want Simu Liu playing on the screens in their country now because of what he said, which honestly really wasn't even that bad. It really wasn't. And it wasn't even him. He was just, he was recommunicating stories his parents told him in a long ago interview for the CBC, the, which is a Canadian, the, the Canadian public network and whatever. But let's talk theoretically for a second. If China really hates what he said and they decide they don't want Simu Liu playing on screens in China, not only does that impact Shang-Chi, 
But it raises an interesting question moving forward. Because clearly, Simu Lu and Shang-Chi are being set up to play a very significant, not the biggest, but a significant role in the overall MCU moving forward. Without giving away spoilers, we clearly saw that in the post credit scenes. Plus, we've already heard references from both Kevin Feige and Simu Liu that we can expect to see Simu Liu as a part of the Avengers moving forward. Hypothetical question, though, arises. If China, which they have not done yet, let's be clear, China has not done this yet. But if China says Simu Liu is persona non grata around China now, he does, we, we will not play movies with him on our screens. What do you do if you're Bob Chapek at that point? What do you do if you now know if we put this actor in our Avengers movie that there is a most likely possibility that China will not allow that movie to play there, which will directly cost us $250 million dollars $300 million, $400 million, theoretically. What do you do if you're Bob Chapek? Do you, A, say, we don't care, much like what they've done with the Chloe Zhao controversy. Because when the Chloe Zhao controversy came out, a lot of people thought, are you going to replace her as the director of credit? Are you going to blah, blah, blah? And Disney said, no, we're not going to do that. I don't even think they could if they wanted to, but I mean, they said, no, no, we're, no, we love Chloe. Chloe's our director for Eternals and they're, they're sticking with it. So did they just say that? Do they say, okay, well, we're just, we're going to keep Shang-Chi then out of the Avengers per se, and we'll just keep him in his own standalone films. And those standalone films want to get to play in China. Or do you take a more extreme measure of saying, okay, well, looks like we've got to recast Simu Liu. Because we got to make sure that our we're able to play these movies in, in all the markets and make the most profit possible. That's why we make the movies, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm, I'm trying to come at this from as an objective point of view as possible. I'm trying not to get my emotions side up in this and my own personal feelings on it, but trying to be objective. Rob, JPEG would face several, theoretically, some sev- several scenarios that would be options to him. Let me ask you this, Rob. What one of those options should Disney employ? Let me let me switch it around. Which one of these options do you think Disney would employ if if it comes out that China says Simu Lu can't play around here, which they have not said yet. They have not said that. It's important to keep in mind here. But if they do, what do you think Disney will do about it? And then maybe what should they do about it? How do you see this? Well, I mean, my first impulse is that China is a communist dictatorship and their their whole government, that way of life, not the not the Chinese people, but the the government, their economic system. One, we we owe them a lot of money. We get cheap manufacturing from them. So we have a very we have a relationship with China that has to be maintained for economic reasons. and yet they're still a communist dictatorship, but they're also big movie fans over there. <laughs> so they like our films. And I think it, it really is going to come down to, uh, at some point, we are going to have to take a stand. Uh, and I don't know if if Disney is brave enough to do that, but we're just going to have to say, look, we're not going to tell our 
people, our actors, what they can and can't say. And if, if you don't want to release our films in your country because people are adhering to our way of life as opposed to your way of life, then so be it. I mean, however, in the world that we live in, who's going to give up hundreds of millions of potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and I, I, I think though it's going to come down to that because we can't have our cake and eat it too, eventually. So I would hope that Simu Lu uh, and China, I think China's going to have to have a thicker skin and ultimately it's going to come down to, will the Chinese people demand Marvel movies end with what end game? I mean, they, I don't think black widow opened in China either. And so our moviegoers, maybe the Chinese moviegoers, maybe this will be the spark of revolution, John, where people are like, nope, we want our Marvel movies, or they're just going to be pirated, wantonly pirated uh, across China. It's 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 a really a no-win for Disney, and I think it's a no-win for Chinese moviegoers, but they'll be able to pirate the films. And I don't think that we're going to start asking people to curtail their – to hold their tongues. I mean, if we start – appeasing china and telling our our actors nope you if you're a chinese immigrant uh you come to china come from china what are we going to do tell people they can't talk about their parents experiences and why they immigrated i mean we can't do that either and i think it's really going to come down to a, a, a battle of ideology um will will disney i mean right now john i think our society has proven money trumps everything and and ultimately it'll be something it'll be it'll have to do with economics do i think that shang chi will not be uh, allowed in the mcu as much i don't i think they're going to keep shang chi in there because uh the movie's doing well people really like it it's a great film we both love it and i think they'll keep incorporating him into the greater mcu but eventually i mean would they put shang chi in a new avengers movie i don't know I don't know if they would. It, it it creates an interesting scenario too, because look, you mentioned you know studios can't start telling their actors what they can and can't say, but they do already. You know, uh, let's take Jeremy Renner for example. Um, he started saying so we're not going to go into everything again. You guys can go all look it up yourself. But he started saying some things online. Disney reps got a hold of him and said, "Cut it out. Stop." Letitia Wright from Black Panther. And by the way, you and I went to go see Black Panther in concert at the Hollywood Bowl the other night. We should have talked about that off the top, but that was a great experience. But you know, it was Let amazing. Letitia Wright started saying some stuff online and studio got a hold of her and said, knock it off because you're going to. And, you know, they talk to a lot of their talent and say, look, even within the U.S. here, there's things we don't want you talking about and going off about on social media because you're going to hurt our business if you do. And if you want to do that, great. We'll go and do business with somebody else other than you. So they, it's it's not like they wouldn't do it because they have done it. You know, they have done it. But it's about, I guess it's about picking your battles. Like, when do you ask them to say something or not? And let's face it, lots of Americans, lots of Americans will say, you know, when, when some celebrity says something about a topic that doesn't line up with their things, I'm not going to go see their movies anymore. I mean, we do it. We do it. Everybody's done it. So it's it's interesting. And again, Rob, one of the things I've said before, and I still hold to it, is this. Everybody in the world is the world's foremost expert on what other people should do with their business. 
everybody in the world is the world's foremost expert about what Disney should do or what Warner Brothers should do. Every you're everybody's the world's biggest expert on how their next door neighbor should or shouldn't spend their money. But it's it's tougher when it's actually your business and it's tougher when it's your money, because, you know, if if Joe in Toledo had a pillowcase making company and China, who maybe could represent two million or four million dollars in sales to him, said, we'll only sell your pillows if you put this little blue dolphin in the corner of your pillowcases. Guess what Joe in Toledo's going to do? He's going to put little blue dolphin in the corner of his pillowcases if he thinks it's going to make him two or three million more dollars. Now, what would what do I think Disney's going to do? In the theoretical hypothetical situation, which still has not happened, and China says we're not going to play Simu Lu in our theaters, which has not happened, but if it does, here's what I think Disney will do. I think they will take the route of they will keep Simu Lu as Shang-Chi, but they will probably keep him out of Avengers, which I think you were kind of alluding to as well a little yeah. bit there. That that becomes a bigger question. I think they will continue to make Simu Lu Shang-Chi. I think they will continue to make Shang-Chi movies, maybe even have him cross over with one or two others, kind of like what we saw in a Thor Ragnarok. But they will probably keep him out of uh, Avengers. What should they do? Oh, God. That's that's a tough question. That's a tough question because American businesses make lots of concessions all the time, not just with China, but other foreign territories as well. Lots of American businesses make lots of concessions in the name of having the biggest potential market reach for their product. I am uncomfortable with the idea of saying, well, we have to make our movies the way China wants us to make them. And so I think they should draw, you know, bend where you can, but don't bend where you don't have to. And I think maybe that whole thing of Simu staying out of Avengers, because that would represent a lot of a lot of money. That might be the the best option. But again, I like the way Disney handled the um, Chloe Zhao situation, saying, hell no, she's our director for Eternals. And that's not on the table. That's not up for discussion. You know, she's our director. She's going to be a director in more of our films. That's that, you know, and I like that approach. And maybe they'll take that approach with Simu Lu. And again, Rob, this whole conversation might be for nothing because maybe China goes, yeah, Simu didn't, wasn't saying, he assumed he's never been here, that he was just repeating what his parents said. This isn't a big deal. We're not, we're going to overlook it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I know, I know this. This is a topic that everybody's going to have very strong opinions about. Everybody's going to have very strong opinions about this. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, how this moves forward. And Rob, what does this do for studios like Paramount or Warner Brothers or Universal or Disney or, or Lionsgate, whatever, moving forward that now have to do all this vetting of their talent and directors to make sure there's nothing in their social media in the past that's going to get our movies in trouble moving forward? Now they also got to look for... Okay, is this actor we're looking for that we're looking at for playing Bishop in our next X-Men movie go through their 15 years of social media history and see if they've ever said something about China? Are they going to have to do that? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, the question is for you guys. If, and again, this is a hypothetical, if China ever does come out and say, 
Simulu movies cannot play here. What do you think Disney will do about it? Will they take the same route as they've done with Chloe Zhao? Will they bend? Will they break? Will they do nothing at all? I mean, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen here? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that stuff down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, speaking of Shang-Chi, Alex Kiddo writes in and says, Hey, John, so it looks like Shang-Chi is holding strong at the box office. It only fell 53% in its second weekend, making $35.8 million, which is being reported as the highest grossing second weekend in the pandemic era. With it, 10-day domestic total now at $145.6 million, do you see this movie being the first pandemic era movie to hit 200 million domestic? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Um, first of all, John, I got to say, I like seeing this. Uh, you and I both thought this was a wonderful film. What have you seen it? Oh, 47 times now. Um, <laughs> still uh, on six, I, I, still just at six. Uh, I, I, it's just a great, it's so much fun. It's such a great time at the movies. I love seeing this happening. And I think it, I think absolutely. Um, it might take a couple more weeks. I think this absolutely will be the first movie to hit 200 million domestic. Um, there's just not a whole, if it, if it manages to spend the rest of September making money, I think it can absolutely eke over that 200 million mark. Uh, October, however, what a month. <laughs> there's a lot of competition. Can't wait for October, but I I'm, I'm stoked for this movie. I'm stoked for everybody that made it. I'm stoked for Marvel. I'm stoked for us fans. And uh, I'm stoked for the character of Shang-Chi himself. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter says, Shang-Chi now boasts the largest second weekend since the start of the pandemic, besting Black Widow's $25.8 million. In its opening weekend, the Marvel feature grossed a massive $90 million and had the second biggest three-day debut of the pandemic year so far, coming in behind fellow Marvel Studios pick Black Widow and above Universal's fast nine i mean i i think it's no it's no surprise to anyone that we're fans of this what do you think is it gonna is it going to make more than 200 million i don't know i don't know it it could like the last time i checked it domestically it's sitting at about 145 so it still has 55 million more to go it just yep. made 35 million in its second weekend you know that's going to drop to about 20 maybe 18 or 17 next weekend which would be a, a very good healthy drop it's perfectly good one I, I don't know if it can make 200 million there's two interesting things here with this though rob uh first thing is is uh a not so great thing which was you know there was a projection by box office pro and we talked about this last week that Shang-Chi could make $40 million on its second weekend. Now, that would have represented, percentage-wise, it would have tied it with Black Panther as the lowest second weekend drop in MCU movie history. 
because Black Panther had a 45% second weekend drop. If Shang-Chi had been able to come in around 40, it would have represented somewhere around, like right around that ballpark, it would have gotten it very close into the neighborhood of a 45% drop, would have tied the all-time record, and we talked about that last week. It was not able to do that. Still took a very good, uh, extremely respectable 52% drop, which is fantastic, and made the biggest second weekend box office since 2019 it is the it would despite the fact that black widow made more than it on its first weekend it didn't matter we now have as, as a second weekend champ at any rate at any rate shang chi made more money on its second weekend than black widow made on its second weekend now there's a lot of caveats to that and a lot of a lot of circumstances surrounding that but still bottom line is it made more money second week than fast nine did it made more money second week than black panther than uh than black widow did it made more money in second week than any film since star wars the rise of skywalker in 2019 so that's obviously a positive thing and it's very good but can it hit 200 million domestically i don't know that it can and that's okay. It doesn't have to hit 200 million domestically. Like Rob, right now, Shang-Chi is officially now profitable. At $257 million, it represents, remember, the budget of this film was $150 million. They tacked on what the word I hear going around uh, right now is that it was a $30 million marketing spend, which is not on the higher end for MCU. MCU certainly has spent much more than that before, but it's spent, the word is about $30 million. So you're looking at about $180 million. You take away about a third. So you're taking away about 80 to $90 million from that box office, which stays of course with the movie theaters. And you're looking right around that Shang-Chi is in the neighborhood of already having broken even at this point, moving forward, every dollar that Shang-Chi makes is now profit for Disney. So that's a win right there, especially in the pandemic era especially coming off the disastrous events of Black Widow and all that kind of stuff. So it's good. It's not as good as it could have been if it could have made that record, Rob. I think it would have been a really neat feather in its cap if Shang-Chi could have come out and said, in the pandemic, we tied for the number one second weekend percentage-wise drop with Black Panther for the all-time best second weekend drop of any Marvel movie in history. That would have been a really cool feather in its cap. Wasn't able to do that, but still... Very, very respectable. And, you know, I think now Shang-Chi is probably going to come in worldwide. It's probably going to float in around 325 million, 340 million uh, overall, which, again, if we weren't living in a pandemic world right now, that wouldn't be all that great. But given the situation we're in, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I don't know, Rob, what do you think the final numbers here are going to be for a Shang-Chi when it's all said and done? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I've, I'm always erring on the side of optimism. I, I think it will cross over 200 million. I mean, I'd love to see worldwide. I'd love to see the film make 500 million. I don't think it's going to, but I would love to see that happen in this in this era because I think the film was a bold move for Marvel, and it was something new, something different. They delved into another genre, which I didn't think they were going to go so heavily into. I, I think the movie deserves it. I think everybody that worked on it, you know, was swinging for the fences and basically achieved success. But I, I you know, I would like to see, I'd like to see an over two hundred million dollar domestic result, and I would like to see five hundred million worldwide. Although I think those things are are sketchy, uh, you know, they are. I understand that. I can uh, cop to that. But I would love to see that happen, and I would love to see it kill it. Look, this week Black Widow shows up. I get my four K steelbook. 
of Black Widow to put right up on my Marvel shelf. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm hoping that the ancillary markets continue the to serve these films well and they continue to make money. I'm I remain as big a fan of the MCU as I ever have been. Um, I think you know Shang Chi really to me was the first. It was the beginning. Uh, other than the series, the shows that we've watched, Shang-Chi brought in, ushered in a new era, the fourth, uh, the, the the fourth, what do you want to call it? I mean, I know phase four of the MCU, but it's between Shang-Chi and the Eternals, we're getting something new. And uh, I, I think it's a bold new direction for the MCU, and I'm I'm excited. I'm really excited. By the way, I love this graphic that Ray made. I absolutely love this graphic that we made. Everybody in the chat is commenting about it. Yeah, Ray, I, actually, I saw this graphic last night. Ray sent sent out this graphic, and I looked at that, and I'm like, oh, my God, Ray, this is like this is some good work on that. He did a really good job on that. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, obviously, Shang-Chi has, has done extremely well financially, especially given the circumstances. It's the biggest second weekend box office haul of any movie since 2019, which is great, not only for Shang-Chi, but for the industry as a whole. How are you guys feeling about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Roger Andre Vahansen, who writes, So, the trailer for the Hawkeye series just released, and to me, this looks very different than the other Marvel Plus shows. It's got a comedic Christmas holiday movie vibe, almost like a mix between Home Alone and Die Hard. What did you think about it? And keep on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Roger. And yes, yesterday, or the other day, the Hawkeye trailer dropped. A lot of people have been looking forward to this. Uh, its release date is coming up pretty soon. Of course, I am a big fan of Jeremy Renner. I like Jeremy Renner very much. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can. Uh, I'm not sure if I can, but I'm going to try to bring this up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there he is. So uh, this was, of course, me back when me and Jeremy Renner were uh, trying to vie. Let me see if I can get this down here. Yeah, this is when me and Jeremy Renner were both trying to get the... Uh, the uh, Hawkeye. He and I were both out for Hawkeye and it came down to me and Jeremy Renner and uh, they eventually went with Jeremy Renner. So there you go. But anyway, uh, I, I like Jeremy Renner very much. I like uh, the Hawkeye character very much, but you know, I have said for a long time that I am not actually all that interested. While I love black widow, as a character in the MCU. And I love Hawkeye as a character in the MCU. I have traditionally never been all that bullish or big on the idea of seeing standalone black widow movie or TV show or a standalone Hawkeye movie or TV show, to be honest with you, black widow came out. It was, it was good. I like black widow. It wasn't great. It had some big glaring problems to me, but I still, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. And, you know, I kind of expect that I'll like Hawkeye as well. So, the trailer comes out and when it does, before I had a chance to see it, a whole bunch of people are, are online and I'm reading a lot of people who follow me on Twitter right there running. Oh my God, this Hawkeye trailer. It's so great. Woo. This Hawkeye trailer is amazing. And I'm seeing all these people loving this Hawkeye trailer. I'm like, all right, let's load this up. And I watched it. I thought it was absolute crap. I thought, the tra I thought this trailer 
was absolute crap. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying the show is going to be crap. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. Not in the least. I still believe I'm going to like the show. But I thought the trailer was horrendous. And, and, and I know everybody, everybody else loves it. Everybody else loves it. But I'll tell you the two main reasons why I, th- I really did not like this trailer. Other than, other than Rogers the Musical. That I will watch. I you, Everything else about the Hawkeye series could be terrible. I don't care. I will watch it just to see whatever segments there are of Rogers the Musical. That aside, Rob, here's the fact. All right. This trailer, and I mentioned this on Twitter, is the manifestation of all the misplaced, personally, I think, uh, without credence criticisms that a lot of hardcore DC fans have made about Marvel movies in the past. I think they're all, they've been misplaced criticisms, but all these criticisms that DC fans have made about Marvel, they're just for children. They're just nothing but yuck, 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 joke, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, all that kind of stuff, which I completely reject that. I, I, I don't agree with that whatsoever. But I'm watching this trailer. I'm like, it's it feels to me like somebody at Disney went, hey, here are all these criticisms these DC fans have made about movie stuff. Let's just make a trailer that is all of that. That that's That's what this trailer was. It was the physical manifestation of all the criticisms that DC fans have made about Marvel films over the years. It's like, well, there you go. That's what this is. And the other thing that didn't sit right with me about the trailer is this, is that you have this character, Hawkeye, who has been through five years of being in a very, very dark place. Five years of being in a very, very dark place. Did a lot of nasty things. And then even coming out of Endgame, he not only lost his best friend, he had to be there and watch her die. Knowing that she died specifically because she needed him to live. And we go from that to... Woo, everybody, it's Christmas. I'm so happy. Go lucky. Ya la 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 la. And it just, it just for me felt like too rapid, Rob, too rapid of a change of gears going from what we've seen Hawkeye as for the last number of years in the MCU. And all of a sudden, he's the Hallmark Christmas movie of the week, Happy Daddy. Woo, woo, woo. And I, I don't know. So look. I am sure I'm going to like this show. I'm sure I'm going to like this show. All right. So let's just be clear on that. I I have very, very high confidence that I'm going to like this show. I love Jeremy Renner. I really like Haley Steinfeld. I've been getting more and more into Haley Steinfeld for years. I think she's actually really entertaining and fun to watch. And I'm sure I'm going to like this show. But I, I don't care if this makes me the only person on the hate Hawkeye trailer island. I will be the mayor of that island. I will be its lone citizen. I will be the island doctor. I will be the island postmaster. I'll be the only guy that lives on that island. That's fine, because I know all of you love this trailer. I thought the trailer was terrible, but that's just me. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to see this trailer. What did you think about it? Well, I, I, I loved it. And uh, I, I think, you know, first of all, 
the I just want to address the criticism. You know, what sent Hawkeye off on his dark path was having his entire family erased before his eyes. Yes, and now he's got it back. You know, and, and he was fighting crime. I mean, he was just being un, unrelenting about it. So, you know, I would say that having his family back uh, is a good thing. But on the other hand, he's part of part of what's happening in this is, first of all, this is a it's not a direct adaptation, but it's an adaptation of, of Matt Faction and David Aja's run on Hawkeye, which is a great, great run. And the introduction, well, not the introduction, but having Kate Bishop being introduced to the MCU, great character. And there's a lot of stuff that's right out of that Matt, Matt Faction run that we see in this. And the um, the the, the low-level Russian sweatsuit brigade, the bro, they, call, they all call each other bro. They're, they're obviously in this going after Hawkeye for what he did during the five years that the, the, of, the, of the blip. Uh, there was so much in here that I just thought was delicious from a comic book standpoint. I mean, once again, Marvel is, is taking their cues from great runs in their, their comic history, which I, I, I've always thought that was a very smart way to go. And I just thought this, this looked like it's a combination of, like you said, whether it's planes, trains, and automobiles trying to get home to mom or your family, and then there's Die Hard, and there's the the Long Kiss Goodnight, and there, there's all kinds of stuff in this film. And you've got Kate Bishop, uh, who I clearly they 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 they're building their young Avengers team uh, slowly but surely. And I I just I thought everything about this looked like it was a delightful change of pace for everything that we've seen, and I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's it 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 felt more like we don't see other than the fact that they're great archers. We don't see superpowers. We don't see visual effects. It's very much it's very much set in the quote unquote real world. And I really like that. I I, I was very excited by this. So um, I like you said, you'll probably end up really liking the show. I think it looked great to me. Yeah, I think it looks terrible, but I, I, but I am, I am, I am convinced I'm going to like the show. I will say one other thing that I, that I think is a positive here besides the Rogers, the musical. The other thing I'll say that, that I think is a real strong positive for it is this, even though I didn't like the trailer, you got to give it this. The person who wrote in the question mentioned it, Rob, you mentioned it too. One of the things the MCU has done so exceedingly well lately is making every one of their projects feel like completely being unique from the previous project. Yep. WandaVision was nothing like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was nothing like Loki, which was nothing like Black Widow, which is nothing like Shang-Chi. And this, again, whether I like the trailer or not is irrelevant. This, again, was a trailer that... May, it, it, this is nothing we've seen in the MCU before. This is so, this stands totally unique. And and maybe that's been like a really guiding principle that Kevin Feige has been implementing lately. And if so, it makes sense because you watch this trailer. This trailer does not feel anything like a Doctor Strange trailer would feel like. This doesn't feel anything like a Thor trailer would feel like or a Captain America trailer or a Captain Marvel trailer or uh, a she whatever She-Hulk trailer will look like or whatever WandaVision put out. This feels completely different and completely unique within the MCU. And how they continue to do that and not make one feel just like another thing before it is interesting. And 
Who knows? Maybe making something as absurd as this trailer is what you need to do to do that. But even I got to say they did it. This is, a, this is again, a complete breath of fresh air. This is a completely unique thing. This is, this is Marvel trying to stay original within their own world. And somehow, even after 28, 29 properties now, if you count movies and TV shows, Rob, they continue to find ways to make it feel completely different and unique from the previous stuff. And even I, as somebody who's not really a fan of the trailer, and I'm sure I'll like the show, but even I got to say, hats off to that. It's a unique approach. It made it feel different. And I feel like now, Rob, when I watch this show, I'm going to get something different than I've gotten in any other MCU thing before. And, you know, all credit to it for that. So I may not have liked the trailer, but it did do some things right for me. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. Oh, I don't even have to. I know. I know all you guys like the trailer. I know. I know. I'll be the only objective one on the island. That's fine. That's fine. But honestly, guys, how did you feel about this trailer? And how much are you looking forward to the show coming out? Jump on down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, our third main topic comes from Brian Freed. Who says, hey, John and Rob, so Dunes Denis Villeneuve was doing an interview and revealed that he really pushed for shooting Dune parts one and two back to back at the same time, but that Warner Brothers refused and made him shoot just one. Do you think this was a mistake on their part? Why would they show such a lack of confidence in the movie? Well, you know, John, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Obviously, we have the great example of Lord of the Rings to show us that shooting three movies was not folly. It worked. Um, I think Lord of the Rings made a lot of sense to do it that way. And I think Lord of the Rings has a story that lent itself. I, I think ultimately it was less of a risk because the story was a little bit, dare I say it, I don't want to offend any Middle Earth fans out there, but it was a simpler story to adapt than, say, something like Dune. We had a core group of four characters, the Hobbit. The Hobbits, we had a, a clear destination, a simple thing to understand. They had to destroy the Ring of Power and the crack of Mount Doom. And it was a hero's journey, and it was easier to understand. So I think it made sense to shoot all those movies back to back. Dune is a little bit different, uh, a different proposition. Uh, the storyline of a, a potential... Messiah who shows up and and leads a people out of bondage would seem to be it's a classical story sounds like it could be right out of the Bible or the Quran and and indeed both of those things were inspirations for Dune but it's also a heady science fiction story that uh, does not have the same kind of wide appeal as something like say Middle Earth does but that said Making half of Dune seems kind of weird to me because uh, halfway through the story is there's really no ending. And, and one of the criticisms that I've seen leveled the film with the reviews, as much as people have said it's wonderful and transportive and a real experience at the movies, it has no ending. And I would have thought because basically the situations and characters and people are essentially the same, why not shoot them both at the same time? 
Warner Brothers has done it before. They did it with The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions. They've done it with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. I would have thought this movie in particular, being that it's shot on location and on stages and a lot of the same places are, are used, that this would have been a natural to shoot both, both parts at once. I don't know. I don't think it would have doubled the budget. I think it would have probably done effectively, added a third to the budget, maybe. I, I think it absolutely should have been done. Now, unfortunately, Hollywood's risk-averse, dude. And I, I, I can understand why they didn't do it, because Dune is not a foregone proposition to be a great success. There's no indication that Dune's going to sweep, make a billion dollars at the box office, or that it has the pop culture um, footprint that Lord of the Rings has, especially now. Um, we have here... Uh, the playlist says, Denis Villeneuve talked about his plan to film both parts of Dune before releasing the first film, unfortunately, for unspecified reasons, though the cost of that sort of endeavor is likely the top culprit, which I totally agree with. WB didn't like that plan. I wanted at the beginning to do two parts simultaneously, Villeneuve said. For several reasons, it didn't happen, and I agreed to the challenge of making part one and then wait and see if the movie rings enough enthusiasm. He added, as I was doing the first part, I really put all of my passion into it, in the case, it would be only one, but I'm optimistic. What do you think, John? Two movies or one? Well, I mean, look, you bring up two really interesting examples, right? You bring up the example of Matrix, and they did Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions back to back. You bring up, uh, what was the other one? The, the Lord, uh, the uh, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter ones, right? The difference between Matrix and Harry Potter and Dune was that Matrix and Harry Potter all did other films first that showed they were box office hits. There was already a first Matrix that they did as shot as one movie, came out, made a lot of money, got a lot of uh, pop cultural um, attention, and therefore they knew they could go in and do two and three back to back. With Harry Potter, it was a global phenomenon. So they already knew they could go in and make the last one back to back and it would be fine. Dune has not had that advantage. Dune doesn't have a track record of success like Matrix did, like Harry Potter did. So on the one hand, what would I have liked them to have done? Well, what I would have liked them to have done is shown some confidence in the movie and shot it back to back. Say, so this is Dune. This is Denis Villeneuve. This is this is going to be great. We should shoot it back to back. We'll save probably like 15 to 20 percent money, which is equal to tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars in savings. It would have been given us a nice flow. We would have been able to have a second movie out sooner. A lot of advantages. But I can understand their apprehension when you're talking about dropping one hundred and seventy million dollars into a movie yeah, or more. A movie, a property that has not traditionally done well, Rob, other than in its book format, but in its on-screen format, this is a property that has not traditionally done big bank business. On top of that, you're not really sure, with Denis Villeneuve taking a very high-concept approach to this, you're not sure right now how will the audience respond to a high-sci-fi concept like Dune, with the way that Denis is going to do it. 
It's, 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 it's smarter than your average movie. I mean, so how are people going to respond to this? And so while I, as a fan, absolutely wish they had just taken the leap and done these two films back to back, while I want that, I got to tell you, Rob, I get it. I get why they didn't. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a huge financial risk. They haven't had a previous... Like they didn't do a part one. Like for, for for example, let's say for argument's sake, Denis Villeneuve had always planned Dune as three movies, which he hasn't. But let's say he always did. He always planned Dune as three movies. I could totally see Warner Brothers doing the first, and then if it did well, shooting two and three back to back, much like they did with Matrix. I could totally see that happening. But this is only going to be a two parter. So uh, would I have wanted them to? Yes. Do I get why they didn't? Unfortunately, yes, because right now, Rob, as much as Dune is my number one most anticipated movie right now, the reality is I am very unsure about how this is going to do financially. I just don't know. Like, even if it wasn't for the great backstabbing betrayal of Warner Brothers and putting this thing out on HBO Max, which completely sabotages its chance of having any significant success at the box office. But even that aside, even if that didn't happen, I'm not 100% sure how well this is going to do. And with the the same day and date release on HBO Max, Rob, I'm telling you right now, I don't think Dune is going to make as much as Shang-Chi did. I don't think well, it's definitely not going to make as much as Black... I mean, on opening weekend. It's not going to make as much money as, as Black Widow did opening weekend, which is 80. I don't think it's going to make as much as Shang-Chi did on opening weekend, which is 75. I think it's going to have to come out and then get like Shang-Chi a really good, strong, positive word of mouth campaign going. I don't know. What are you thinking about it? Well, what's really interesting is, you know, Dune opens in Europe this week. Yes, it does. So, so we're going to have a month. I mean, Dune doesn't open in the United States till the 22nd of October. So we're going to have a significant, uh, uh, understanding of what Dune is going to do at the box office by, We'll have over a month of box office around the rest of the world to see how it does. And I believe Dune is also approved to open in China, although I'm not sure when that happens. So we could be in a situation where if Dune catches on, and I think in a way it was a brilliant strategy because HBO Max is not around the rest of the world yet. So um, we have the rest of the world, and if the film catches on and becomes a hit, Warner Brothers could could have a, a global hit on their hands before the movie even gets to America. And I think that's going to be really telling. And at least for Dune, of all these day and date movies, it does have a bit of an advantage. And I'm hoping that audiences around the world discover this movie. And if they do, by the time it gets here, hopefully the the worldwide hype will be real and Dune will do very well. I mean, I'm dubious. Dune is a... Dune is not a story. I mean, while it does have action in it, it is a thoughtful, contemplative story. It's not It's not your typical action fair. And really, I have heard that they there are three movies to be made about the Paul Atreides story, and I've heard they wanted to do them. This Dune's called Dune Part One, but I heard that they were internally discussing doing Dune, Dune Prophet, and then Dune Messiah, which is the second Dune book that closes off the Paul Atreides story. And I could see there being a Dune trilogy if this movie does really, really well, and if it does well on on streaming on HBO Max, I'm sure they have a number in mind where it, it has to make a certain amount and then be seen a, a certain number of times on HBO Max, which will trigger them green lighting part two. 
but I think we'll we'll have a real sense of it before it even opens here because we're going to see what numbers it does in Europe beginning in two days. Yeah, now, look, I have, I'm going to call it right now. This movie's going to get a Best Picture nomination. I'll call it right now because of the source material and we know, and this is one of, he might be the hottest director in the world. He might be the best director in the world right now. Uh, certainly, certainly one of the hottest. Every movie he makes is just a practical masterpiece. Yep. And so I have no doubt this is going to be one of the best movies of the year. And I would, I would put a hundred bucks. I would put a hundred bucks right now. Easy that this will get nominated for best picture at the Academy Awards. I mean, I haven't seen the film yet. So I'm just, this is pure prognostication. This is just pure yes. guesswork on my part. Obviously I'm not saying it deserves it because I haven't seen it. I'm just guessing that with the pedigree of how great this story is, with the pedigree of how great this director is, with the pedigree of how greatly talented most of his cast are, uh, I mean, you've got Timothy Chalamet, who you know I think is going to be, he's not yet, but I think he's going to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis at some point. Um, you just got a, a loaded cast. I just think this movie's going to be remarkable, but again, I just don't know that it's going to have that market appeal. Like Blade Runner 2049, is a fantastic movie, but it did not have market appeal. And look what happened to it. It just it just wasn't able to perform because, well, it's one of the worst marketing campaigns in history. So there's that. So they're going to have to really ramp it up. But then, Rob, again, the elf in the room is going to be HBO. Warner Brothers has completely sabotaged any chances. It, whatever chances there were of this being a box office success, HBO sabotaged it because they're putting it on a day and date. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how they're going to do. But we'll we'll see. I'm I'm again. I think the main hope for this, Rob, like you were saying, this is going to all rely on word of mouth. It's got to be that people in Europe see it and love it, and then early audiences here see it and love it. And like what happened with Shang Chi, people just talk and talk and talk about how great this movie is, if it is indeed that great. Because I haven't seen it yet myself. And that may give it legs and that may push it over the top. But uh, I'm just saying right now, Rob, I've got questions. I got big questions. I don't know how it's going to work out. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this notion that Denis Villeneuve actually originally wanted to shoot these films back to back? Do you think they should have let him do it? Do you think it was a dumb mistake not to let him do it? Are you like me where you kind of wish they did, but you understand why they didn't? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Jackson Danny, who writes, Hey, John, did you see that a series following Penguin from the upcoming Matt Reeves, the Batman movie is now in the works at HBO Max and Colin Farrell has apparently been approached to reprise his role. What do you think of this news? And with this being the second spinoff series from the Batman that is now in the works, the first being the Gotham PD show, uh, has this news at all heightened your confidence in the Batman? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Well, let me just address that, that last part you put in there first. Does this news of a second The Batman spinoff series coming to HBO heighten my anticipation or belief in the Batman movie? No. Because my excitement and belief in this Batman movie are already pretty sky high. Like I already completely, I'm already drooling at the mouth to see this Batman movie. (laughs) 
I mean, again, do I wish it was Ben Affleck writing, directing, and starring in this movie? Yes, obviously. But if it can't be Ben Affleck, getting Matt Reeves to direct it is a pretty damn good choice. And Robert Pattinson is simply one of the finer actors in the world right now. As much as people, Twilight Boy, yes, Twilight Boy, that guy. He's only spent the last eight years delivering insanely great performance after insanely great performance in these smaller indie projects that you know a lot of people don't watch, unfortunately. But he's turned into a remarkable actor. He's remarkable. And I think he's going to do a great job. I really do. And from what we've seen, both in the original trailer that dropped at uh, DC Fandom last year, plus all the footage and stuff that they showed us at CinemaCon this year, I have a very, very strong, solid belief in this film. So no, them announcing spinoff series don't increase my belief in it because my belief is already pretty sky high. What do I think of it? I think it's pretty damn good. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, uh, HBO Max is developing a series about the Penguin that will be a spinoff of the Batman feature. Variety has learned from sources. Colin Farrell is set to play the notorious supervillain in the Batman. According to sources, Farrell has has been approached to star in the spinoff series, but no deal is currently in place. Sources also say that Lauren LaFranc is attached to write the script for the project, which is in its very early stages. The show would supposedly delve into the Penguin's rise to power in Gotham in the Gotham criminal underworld. The Batman director Matt Reeves and the film's producer Dylan Clark would executive produce the Penguin series for HBO. And again, that comes to us from Variety. And uh, while we're on the topic of the Batman, the Batman sends in like a $50 super chat in this in the uh, live <laughs> chat there. Thank you the batman appreciate that very much man thank you for contributing to our channel on that level that's very generous of you bruce um oh my god did i just let something slip sorry thank you batman uh for doing that all right so this is interesting for a couple of reasons rob and also it makes something else make a lot more sense do you remember rob that a couple of weeks ago we covered a story here where i think it was deadline released that Colin Farrell only actually appears. What was it like something like seven, eight or nine minutes of the film that Colin yeah. Farrell's penguin only appears in like seven, eight or nine minutes of the movie. And we're like, okay, well, you know, it's fine. You know, it's, you know, it's not the size that matters is how you use it. It's not how much screen time you have. It's how good are you on screen as you're performing the role? And we all said, you know, it's, it's okay. That's fine. That's fine. But, This story makes that story make a lot more sense because if the plan at Warner brothers has been, because listen, this may, this may be information that's coming out now, but I guarantee you, this is something that's probably been planning for years. This story makes that story make more sense because It's fine, then, if you're really only introducing the Penguin character. And by the way, seven or eight or nine minutes of screen time is actually a lot. That can be a lot of screen time to do some very significant things. But if he's only in the movie for that much, that makes sense if they were already planning on doing a spinoff series. Because, Rob, one of the questions that we were asking was, why go out and get an actor like Colin Farrell 
to play a role like Penguin if he's only going to be in the movie for like seven minutes. I mean, that's fine for the role. The Penguin can only be in the movie for seven, eight, nine minutes. That's fine. But why do you go out and get an actor like Colin Farrell? Well, now that makes sense. Because if you're thinking about that, you might be doing a spinoff series on HBO Max. Well, now you've got your lead for that series. And it's a phenomenal actor in his own right. So I, I can't say how excited I am for this project until I see the movie that this is a spinoff of. Mm-hmm. But I will say that in theory, it's a very interesting proposition. Because, Rob, ever since I read the No Man's Land storyline in Batman, I've, I've, I was never a big Penguin guy before until No Man's Land. And then No Man's Land goes like, oh, you know what? Penguin, you can do a lot of very cool things with Penguin. And seeing the way he looked in this looks remarkable. So, yeah, man, Mark me is intrigued. Rob, you see this story. What do you make of it? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that the Marvel series have have shown us is that you can do some very interesting, intriguing uh, storytelling in six episodes, eight episodes. So before, you know, movie stars have been sort of transitioning from the big screen to the small screen for years now. And I think someone like Colin Farrell, who's traditionally been thought of as a theatrical actor, coming on and and following up a movie like The Batman with a limited series where he's not tied into 10 episodes or 13 episodes for seven years, but instead could come in and do a really... Not that it wouldn't run that long, but if they wanted to do a Penguin limited series for HBO Max, they've done a lot of great limited series on HBO. I think it's a great idea. And, um, you know, it's if, if it's of the same kind of quality as something like Mayor of Easttown, I don't know if they're going to make a second season of that, but they didn't conceive it as something that was ongoing. It was done as a limited series. If they've got a great Penguin story and a great limited series ready to go, I think that could be very cool. And and maybe it would trigger a whole different series of limited shows about various bat villains. So we've we've seen what a Batman villain show can look like in Gotham, but now if it's a direct spinoff, you can't get into these characters as much in a feature film as you could in a limited series. So I think it's a great idea, frankly. Here's an interesting question though that this raises. Because now we've got two spinoffs of the Batman coming in Gotham PD, which, which I'm looking forward to. And now this crossover, (laughs) this penguin thing, which I'm looking forward to. So these are all in like that one cinematic universe at the same time. They're also going to be having a different DC cinematic universe happening all at the same time, because we've got this, we've got the Batgirl movie coming on HBO. That is not a part of the Matt Reeves Batman universe, but rather a part of the DCEU as well as a green lantern project coming. That is a part of the DCEU. So not only do we have two different iterations of the DC universe in the movies, we're going to have two different iterations of the DC universe. Well, three, if you count some of their other shows, like some of the, the um, uh, CW refugee shows that have come over, to there as well so they're going to be running like multiple iterations of different universes uh doing their thing and i i just think it's an interesting approach rob do you think this is going to cause confusion with the audience or do you think audiences will just go wait a minute why isn't batgirl in that oh because they're different things oh okay so do you think it's going to cause confusion or do you think it's not going to be that big of a deal i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because i think you know they're embracing this idea of the multiverse and i think that 
audiences are now going to be conditioned to understand what that is. And they're going to tell, they're going to tell Batman stories. We've, we've had so many different Batman stories already on the big and small screen that I think that they won't, audiences will get it. They'll understand that I'm watching a Batman story. It doesn't necessarily need to connect to every other Batman story. And, you know, they do that. DC did that with their Elseworlds comics. They would tell various stories like Superman, Red Sun, for instance, Gotham by Gaslight. They did so many stories that you would examine the characters in different milieus and people got it. People understood what it, what it was. And I think in this case, they'll, they'll get it as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think I mean, you got that Pennyworth. They're still doing a Pennyworth show about Alfred's time in the intelligence services. By the way, I only saw season one of that, but I got to get back on it because I really like Pennyworth, by the it was way. Good. I, I thought Pennyworth was really good. But listen, this is the same question people brought up when Joker was coming out. When they announced that they were doing a Joker movie, and I, I believe we were all at Comic-Con when the news came out. I believe we were at Comic-Con when the news came out. And a lot of people are saying, because when they announced this is going to be its own standalone thing, a lot of people protested saying, no one's going to understand. He can't be successful. It's not tied into the Batman. And if this isn't part of this world, what's the point? It only ended up being one of the best movies they've ever made. Got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Made over a billion dollars. And Joaquin Phoenix won the Academy Award for Best Actor in it. I would say by just about any metric, that was a success. And there was no problem with the audiences getting confused. Nope. So now, granted, this is a little bit different because you're talking about ongoing things on HBO Max or in different universes. So I understand it's a little bit different, but I agree with you. I really don't think it's going to create all that much of a problem as far as confusion goes for people. Anyway, question is for you guys. What do you think about this notion of a spinoff from the Batman of Colin Farrell's Penguin? I'm at least very intrigued by it. I think it's really interesting. It makes the old stories make more sense now to me as well. How are you guys feeling about it? Are you interested in all? Maybe you're not. Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way now, let's move on and start taking your live questions, shall we? And once again, if you want to send in a live question to be read on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply click on the tip link that's down in the description below, or you can enter it in manually again at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, you'll be supporting our channel, which we all thank you very much, guys, for your support. All right. With that down, let's get on over there and start taking those questions, shall we? We're going to start things off with Lou from Houston who writes... I have a stupid question or a stupid way to introduce the X-Men into the MCU. Uh, do what the CW did with Crisis. Just combine worlds and only a few people know what's happened or for the rest of the world is just a normal day. Uh, the thing I would say is, Lou, you can get away with a lot of nonsense in the CW because everybody just expects, expects CW to be drivelish nonsense. And by the way, sometimes I really like that drivelish nonsense. I, there's been a number of the CW shows I really like. But People know when they're watching a CW show that's a CW show. I, I don't know that they could do it the same way with X-Men and the MCU. Rob, what do you think? Do you think the CW approach could work? You know, I, I'm still of the opinion that you don't use multiple worlds or sci-fi conceits from other timelines or whatever. I mean, look, I go back to our world. We don't know what's going on all over the world all the time. And like we saw in WandaVision... Agatha Harkness was introduced as being a witch from the 16th century. Now, up until then, we hadn't heard of her. You know, presumably she was doing things 
wrong in the MCU. The Avengers never came across her. Nobody knew what she was until we saw WandaVision. And to me, I mean, all you have to do is establish that there is Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. When we go over there, if they were to open an MCU movie with that school, we would all know what it was. And and the thing is, I, I think the idea that the X-Men are not on the world stage yet isn't a problem. I mean, we're all thinking in terms of okay, Magneto was at was at in Auschwitz, and I don't know how they would how they would figure that. We've talked about this on the show before. How would we what is the problem? Would it be Denzel Washington and he was in Rwanda or something? I don't know. But I do think that that I would not have a problem with the X-Men having always been in the MCU. We just haven't met them yet. And and maybe there's they I don't know how they're gonna do it, but you know, if you think about it, even in the comics, when they exist with the Avengers or whatever, the X-Men were a fairly insular group. They would eventually spill over and, and you'd see stories, I mean, later on, especially with the Avengers and things like that. But a lot of what they were doing was so concerned with other mutants. So the world at large didn't really know they were there. But then, of course, they did know they were there. So uh, I, I, I still think they could just introduce them. In, into our world, into the MCU as it exists now. And I think it would still work. All right. I, I don't share that optimism, but we'll see. All right. Next up, uh, the sound of Wolverine's blades coming out of his hands, writes, Hey, John, uh, one of the things that I appreciate about CM, I have no idea what we're talking about, is the nonlinear structure of her origin. Well, I'm going to assume you mean Captain Marvel. Is the nonlinear structure of her origin. It was different. I mean, Kevin Feige is saying they didn't want to tell a traditional origin story and wanted to change it up. What do you prefer, linear or nonlinear? That's that's the wrong question. Linear or nonlinear is those are simply tool, two different tool options. Some stories would be served better by a nonlinear revelation of the story. Some stories are much better served with a linear telling of the story. For example, you're right. Captain Marvel utilized a nonlinear way to kind of reveal her background as the movie progressed, much the same as Shang-Chi does. For those of you who've seen Shang-Chi, you know, a lot of different parts of the past and everything are being put together as the movie progresses, as they jump back and forth. In those movies, a nonlinear approach served it very, very well. However, go and watch Civil War. Go and watch Captain America, the first Avenger. Go and watch The Dark Knight. With, with you know, not everything that has a flashback scene is nonlinear. The flashbacks are flashbacks. That's, that's different. But some of the greatest, if not the greatest comic book movies of all time have been linear. So it's not a matter of is linear better or nonlinear better. That's like asking, is a two-hour runtime better or is a two-hour and 15-minute runtime better? It depends right. on the movie. Certain movies will be better served with different approaches. So that, that's kind of my take on it. But uh, thanks for sharing that thought, man. All right, next up, uh, Synced Uprights. Hey, John, I was wondering where did Bring on the Filthy come from? This gets asked at least once every two two months or so. Uh, where did Bring on the Filthy come from here in the community? Um, I've been around since the AMC days, but somehow I missed the origin story. Thanks, and don't have a good day. Have a great day. It's a good little free guy reference there. Uh, well, again, listen, I don't mind because you hear Bring on the Filthy brought up all the time. So somebody at least every two months asks that question. Here's the Coles Notes version of it, okay? I was doing a, I was covering a story about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey getting an R rating instead of an NC-17 rating. 
And I was basically talking about why a studio would go for an R rating because NC-17, that, that comes a lot with a lot of different uh, obstacles then if you get an NC-17. And like, does it have to be, do you, do, you, do you have to throw in like a lot of that filthy? And I said, now, don't get me wrong. I love the filthy. Bring on the filthy. That's all. I, that's what I said. And from that moment on, at least for a couple of years, every question that got sent in would end with bring on the filthy. Um, and I love it because because Rob, bring on the filthy isn't just a saying. It's a way of life. Uh, I believe so, too. And I, I've, it's a way of life I've subscribed to since a young I was a young boy. I, I agree. And you know how the most interesting man in the world says, stay thirsty, my friends. I, th- I think I need, I think I got to get Ray to create a shirt that says live filthy. I think that's, I think that's, that's the new brand. Like forget, forget whatever Nike slogan is, forget whatever any of the slogans is. The true motto for life should be live filthy. So that's what I'm going to go with. All right. Uh, thanks for writing. I hope that answered that question for you synced up. Okay. Next up, uh, synced up also writes in. Uh, oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. Spider-Man two on PlayStation just got revealed and we're getting venom and Craven the hunter. Have you seen the trailer? And are you excited for this story? Uh, I know you watch the cutscene movies. Thanks. Yeah, it looks interesting, but I can't get too terribly excited for it when it doesn't come out till 2023. Like yeah. talk, talk to me once it gets a little bit closer. Like I, I don't get why they put out these game announcements is like coming when, you know, Avengers 17 comes out. Like I, I just, I can't get terribly excited, but it did look cool. But Rob, I'll tell you what else. I really like that God of war teaser. Yep. And I, even though there really wasn't much in it, the, the same company that does, uh, I believe the Spider-Man game, I can't remember the name of the company now, but I think they're the same ones that are doing the Wolverine game. That little teaser of an old country bar and all the bodies laying around and you don't even see what you see his back and then the claws come out. That was great. Yep. That uh, insomniac. Thank you guys in the live chat. Uh, a bunch of guys in the live chat, Dino, the wise and uh, William and a bunch of guys saying insomniac insomniac. Thank you guys. Um, I, that looked awesome. And, you know, I, I very rarely play the play games on console because I, I'm not a controller guy. I, I, my brain cannot, my brain is not wired to use a controller. My brain is wired to use a key bat, a keyboard, a keyboard, a keyboard and mouse. But, uh, I did play Spider-Man and had some fun with Spider-Man. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to Rob. Did you see these, uh, announcements and which yeah, stood out oh, to I you? I watched them all and that, you know, they're all exciting. You know, that Spider-Man PlayStation game is, you know, it was so much fun. And it'll only be further refined. The city will probably be even more refined and the powers and that it'll be it's going to be great. And they're going to make a lot more Hot Toys figures because they made a lot of Hot Toys figures from that Spider-Man game. So bring it on. They certainly did. And they look pretty damn good, too. All right. Next up. Uh, Tom DeHart writes, hey, John and Rob, longtime fan of the show. Thank you so much. Just want to say I pre-ordered my first two ever hot toys, Shang-Chi <laughs> and Wenwu. Uh, you were right. They can be expensive, but I'm excited nonetheless. Please enjoy the rest of your day. Well, I'll tell you what. I Yes, they are expensive. It's it's a very, very dangerous habit to get into buying hot toys. So dangerous. So dangerous because unlike pops, because, you know, I've, I've like right here, I've got a number of pops sitting here. I've got hundreds of these. The thing is, they're really inexpensive, right? You can get these for eight to twelve dollars. 
Some of the big ones you're going to pay like 30 or something bucks for whatever. Like this, um, let's see here. Like this, I love this one. This Indiana Jones one. I love this That's one. Really, where he's holding really the cool. totem. This is an exclusive one to Disneyland. You can only, I believe you can only get this at Disneyland. I think at any rate, but um, even for that, I think I, even that huge monstrous one, I think I spent 40 bucks on it. with hot toys. I just bought that damn captain America infinity war one. 350 bucks. And that's why I don't own many of these things. Cause you buy one. Cause Rob, I'll tell you what, once I bought that one, and this is what I've warned everybody about. The problem with buying these hot toys is you cannot stop. Oh, what do you got there on your lap, dude? Uh, this is the Spider-Man homecoming quarter scale, quarter scale, quarter scale. I don't even want to talk about how much this cost. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I I paid it off over a long time. This might be one of the greatest action figures ever made, and I I'm gonna take it out of the box this week, so I'll show it Ooh. on the show. But well, yeah, this is this is this is this is filthy, but in a different way. It's but, filthy when it comes to your pocketbook. See, Rob, you'll be able to speak to this. The problem is, is I've 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 now have I have five hot toys that I've bought over the years, right? And even two of them, I didn't even pay for one of them. Sideshow just gave me and one of them, our, our buddy Cliff gave me. So I've bought right. three. That includes my Captain America one. Cause here's the problem with these hot toys. They are so gorgeous. They are so beautiful that when you buy one, it doesn't matter if you tell yourself, I'll just buy one. You can tell yourself that all you want. It's like trying to play just the tip. Yeah, maybe you think you're only going to play just the tip. But let's be honest with yourself. You're not going to play just the tip. Like when you buy the thing and you get it home, all you will think about is, oh, my God, you know, it would look really good next to this one. And and that's an expensive habit to get inside. Because, Rob, yeah, I talked to you about this. After buying that Captain America and looking how good it looks, I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll buy one or two. And then I know you have like a whole ton of these things that aren't even on display because you don't have room for them. I was even talking to Rob saying, you know what? In my background, maybe I'll build some of those glass display shelves with lighting and I'll buy one or two more and then I'll borrow maybe five or six or seven from Rob and put them in the display cases behind me. Cause once you buy that one, Rob, once you get one, once you break the seal, once you play just the tip, there's just no stopping. There's just no stopping. Now that's all I'm thinking about. That's all I'm thinking um, about now. Yeah. But you know, I will say this, uh, there's a good way to enjoy hot toys figures, but also limit your exposure. Like, in terms of what you got, you got the Infinity War uh, Captain America. The Infinity War Thor is an incredible figure. And you could get, it lights up, it's got the short hair, it's badass. And then you could also get an Infinity War Iron Man figure, and that represents the triumvirate, the core Marvel characters. And you could stop there, because that's a respectable display. You know, it's it's it's... It's something that makes a statement. You've got the the you you've you've got these three characters, and you don't have to do any more. <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, they're dangerous, but good on you, good on you, Tom DeHart. 
Uh, I hope you enjoy them. Just, you know, just, just try to stay disciplined, my friend. Just try to stay disciplined. Because all of a sudden, before you know it, you're, you're doing unspeakable things for money to buy the next one. Just be very careful. Just be careful. All right. They are glorious. So these are absolutely beautiful. All right. Uh, Giovanni, the movie canon writes, Hey, John. Uh, I just got a chance to meet you in person before my viewing of old at AMC. Oh, that's awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, you were very kind and humble. Thanks for that. I have a tech question for you. I'm looking to buy a new MacBook, uh, um, new MacBook pro laptop budget one K to 1.5 K. I use final cut pro X. Any recommendations? Yeah. The M one, but, but here's the thing next month. They should be, they're going to be announcing new, the, the new Max with like the uh, MX, either the M1X or the M2. I'm not totally sure what they're going to call the next chip. But those ones are probably going to run over your budget. For $1,000 to $1,500, um, you can either get the MacBook Air. Yes, the Air. The M1 MacBook Air or the 13-inch MacBook Pro with the M1 chip. Just get get the one with 16 megs of uh, or 16 gigs of ram if you go online and look up the benchmarks it is crazy what davinci resolve and final cut pro how wickedly fast that those programs run i've seen guys rob i've seen guys doing tests with their m1 chip macbooks running like four layers of full 4k uh, 4.2.0 footage and it runs butter smooth with incredible yeah. render times. These are machines without dedicated, without dedicated GPUs. These M1 chips, their their systems on a chip. They have their their GPU cores built right into the chip, and they run insanely fast. Now, um. Like I said, the new MacBooks are coming next month, probably, but those will exceed your budget. If you are looking for something within that price range, number one, if it doesn't have to be a MacBook, if it doesn't have to be a laptop, look at the Mac Mini. The Mac Minis, the new M1 Mac Minis are great. And I know a lot of professional video editors who have actually switched over to a Mac Mini, of all Mm. things. Uh, and it runs great, but if you want the laptop form, you'll pay a little bit more for it, but it should should still be in your price range. Go ahead and get that. Rob, I know you you work on a Mac, but you don't have an M1 machine yet, do you? No, but I, I too, am in the, uh, in, the mood, in the mood. I'm in the market to get a smaller because I want to have a, a second and even a third streaming area here in the old Observatory where I'm not locked into my, my uh, Mac Pro, uh, uh, iMac Pro here. So I'm, you know, I'm looking to get, a, a, a small system that I can stream from. By the way, um, really sad news to report. Um, it's coming across right now. I've got deadline opened right now. Um, one of my favorite entertainers, Norm McDonald from uh, Saturday Night Live, has passed away at 61. Uh, I don't know anything, any details about this yet. I've, I've got this open right now. I'm just going to read this. Uh, Norm MacDonald, who's uh, laconic delivery and sharp and uh, incisive observations made him one of Saturday Night Live's most influential and beloved cast members, died today after a nine-year private battle with cancer. He was 61. Uh, I did not know about this. Um, 
you know, obviously we'll probably talk more about this tomorrow, but I, he had Rob, uh, a number of years ago, he launched and only last one season, unfortunately, but he had a late night sports show that would take a humorous look at sports. And Ann and I actually got, cause I love Norm Macdonald and we actually got tickets and we got, we got to go, we got to meet Norm Macdonald, um, and we got to go and watch it. And unfortunately it didn't get picked up for a second season, but his show was great. I can't remember the name, the actual name of the show, but it was really, really great. He was great as, you know, on, uh, that, uh, Seth McFarland, Star Trek ripoff show. Uh, uh, what's the it called? yeah, the Orville. He was the voice of the green gob glob monster, uh, which is always great to hear his voice in that. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, like I said, is saying he was secretly battling cancer for nine years. I, I never knew he was sick. Um, man, I, and then of course, whenever I think of Saturday Night Live and him, I always think of him as Turd Ferguson, as Burt Reynolds on the Celebrity Jeopardy. My God, that's like some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. If you guys never saw Norm Macdonald as, uh, as Burt Reynolds or Turd Ferguson on Celebrity Jeopardy, you, you gotta watch it. It's like one of the, greatest things ever very very sad to hear rob you're just quick we'll, we'll talk about this more tomorrow i'm sure but just your quick thoughts hearing about the past well, i mean I, again i thought he was such a deaf comedian and he he was so funny and I, I i really appreciated his sort of deadpan brand of of humor and like you said on snl he was great he has such a long history of doing so many funny things and it's you know it's uh it's funny john when you think about it on a long enough stretch of of time are all of our survival rate is zero. And, um, you know, I, I think as we lose, as we get older, we lose more and more people. But what I always try and think back on is, is the work that people leave behind. And he has such a great, 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 as you said, I didn't know he did a sports show. Um, he has a great legacy of humor that spans decades. And on the occasion of, of someone like him passing away, we can only celebrate the great work that he's left all of us. Because it, it, it'll always be here to stand as a testament to what he was capable of as a performer. Yeah. And again, we, we will address this a little bit more on tomorrow's show, but just wanted to, to share that with you guys that uh, Norm McDonald's passed away at 61. So I'm so bummed out about that. But listen, we still have more to do. and We'll talk more about uh, Norm and his incredible career tomorrow. For now, let's keep moving uh, through things here, shall we? Uh, next up, we are going to go to Steve uh, Lembriodes, who writes... Uh, hey, John, I've recently moved to L.A. from Pennsylvania. Cool. I love Pennsylvania, by the way. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. Like outside of the major cities, gorgeous, gorgeous state. Anyway, uh, to give a crack at film editing and involving myself in the industry. I adore the theatrical experience. What theaters or locations would you highly recommend checking out? Well, I mean, obviously, if we're going to talk about uh, if we're going to talk about uh, theaters. You, there's Rob, you and I just recently went down to Hollywood and Highland. Go down to Hollywood and Highland. Because at Hollywood and Highland, right in Hollywood, the, the streets Hollywood and Highland, there are three major, you know, theater slash uh, event locations right beside each other. You have, number one, the most famous movie theater in the world in the Chinese theater. Number two, you have a gorgeous Disney-owned El Capitan Theater, which is itself right across the street from the Dolby theater, which is where they hold the Academy Awards every year. And they also do a lot of big premieres there and stuff like that. 
But uh, that's obviously, if you're looking for the theaters, you got to see. Rob, you got to go to the Chinese. Other than the Chinese, do you have any other recommendations you give for like a theater they'd have to see? Well, I mean, going to see something. I mean, other other theaters are not, they don't have the history that the Chinese theater has. I mean, just walking in that auditorium and looking around, just just remember, go in the Chinese theater and look up. Look at the ceiling. Oh, look at so the, the work. I mean, it's... And the theater's been there for, what, 100 years now? And uh, they've got the laser projection and the sound system in there is just incredible. And it's definitely something... I, I would say, John, also go see the Cinerama Dome. But... Uh, it's <laughs> open up again. The It's not showing movies, though, is it? I, 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 I think... I believe I could be wrong, but I believe our friend Martika was just at the reopened ArcLight in Hollywood, but it's now called I, the Regal. It's now no, that's the they. It's it's the ArcLight in um. It's um, in Pasadena. Sherman Oaks. Oh, in Sherman, Oaks. Sherman Oaks. Oh, I I thought it was the one down there. No, and then by the way, AMC has opened up, reopened up the Americana and yes, the Grove yes, with millions of dollars worth of uh, upgrades. So yes. I want to go check that out. I, I maybe that's where I'll go see my seventh screening of uh, of that. Maybe I'll go watch Cry Macho there this week. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but Rob, I'll just tell you this: my greatest thing, one of my favorite movie fan moments of my life, was I grew up as a kid. Through the years, looking at because you know Star Wars is life to me. Looking back and seeing those black and white photos and and like the footage of the premiere of Star Wars, the original Star Wars at, at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. And then when Star Wars, the force awakens came out, I got invited to go to the premiere and it was at the Chinese theater and walking into the Chinese theater to see the premiere of a Star Wars movie in the place where they premiered the original Star Wars movie. I got to tell you, man, that that to me might be... I don't think that I'll ever have an experience in my life as a movie fan, as a movie fan. I don't think I'll ever have an experience in my life that tops that. That was just like... That was Valhalla for me, man. That was absolute Valhalla for me. Uh, anyway, Rob, uh, we've taken you a bit over time here. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow, of course. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your goodness online? And what what's what special thing is happening in Miami? <laughs> well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or RMB, wherever I'm at. I don't know. Uh, find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. But, John... Our little movie, Tango Shalom, is opening up all throughout Miami and South Beach this weekend. We also go to Palm Springs and a theater in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, I, you know, I never thought the movie would be in theaters for more than a week. We're starting uh, week three, and that's uh, very exciting. And I keep getting some great feedback. So thank everybody for uh, who goes. Or I'll thank you for going to see the film. And the whole mo the movie will be out on VOD on October 29th. And if you live anywhere in Russia, it will be open, opening theatrically all across Russia, believe it or not. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, that is pretty damn cool. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. All right, man. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But for now, we still have some time left, guys. So let's get through more of your questions here, shall we? We're going to get things going here with James Argento, who writes, what March of 2022 comic book film will have a better opening weekend and which 
uh, will do better domestic. The Batman coming out three, coming out uh, March 4th or Doctor Strange coming out March 25th. Assuming both are good with popularity of Batman, help out. Will it help it outperform an MCU sequel? Ooh. Okay. Under normal circumstances, I would say the Batman would do better. But this Doctor Strange movie is going to be tied in with a bunch of stuff that's gone on in the MCU already. I expect we're going to see Spider-Man in it. We already know Wanda is going to be in Doctor Strange 2 from, from WandaVision. So the popularity of WandaVision is going to roll over into that as well. Um, so I'm actually, while I think Batman will do well, and I'll be honest with you, I am more looking forward to the Batman than I am to Doctor Strange 2. I'm very excited. Don't twist my words. I'm very excited about Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. I am very, very excited about it. But I am stupid excited for the Batman. But I do think Doctor Strange will do the bigger box office. I don't know if it'll be the better movie. Uh, I suspect the Batman might end up being the better movie, but uh, it could be Dr. Strange, but that's not what we're asking. The ask, you asked what will make more money. I think Dr. Strange will make more money, even though I'm more excited for the Batman, but I think Dr. Strange will make more. And maybe it'll be the better movie. I don't know. We'll have to see. All right, next up. Uh, and an honest viewer writes, with Halloween going to Peacock, fans seem totally okay with the move. However, uh, when Disney would throw Pixar films on Disney Plus, fans accuse Disney of backstabbing the studio. Uh, why, are th why the overall double standard among fans, in your opinion? Uh, thank you, John. Well, listen, you can't, you're misusing the term double standard. Double standard is when the same person is doing two different things. Fans of Halloween are not necessarily the same people who are the fans of Pixar, right? Th those can be two totally different groups of people. And if one fan base feels one way about one thing and another fan base feels a way about something else, that's not technically a double standard. That's just two different fan bases having two different approaches, right? Now, if it was the exact same fans, maybe that would be different. But why is there a different reaction? Well, I think there's obvious. Pixar is a much larger fan base. Pixar is an infinitely bigger fan base. Halloween, not so much. Because even fans of the Halloween franchise, as I uh, take off my headphones here, uh, even the fans of the Halloween franchise, not all of them like the newest Halloween movie. Like take Rob, for example. Rob, Rob loves the Halloween franchise, but he didn't like the latest Halloween movie. So you're talking about one of the biggest IPs in the world with Pixar that will have a very, very, very passionate fan base. Whereas with Halloween, and I love the latest Halloween movie. I can't wait for the newest one. But for a lot of those fans, it's not as passionate of a topic as it would be for Pixar. Not to mention, you actually had staff from Pixar publicly complaining. Whereas, you know, with that, it's not. So I think it's, it's a very, very different thing to look at. It's a two totally different situations, really. But, I, but it's a good question to ask, Anonymous. All right, next up. Um, the film guy writes... Have you considered using a screen slash teleprompter in front of your camera so you can actually look at guests when you look at the camera? Uh, you would just need the monitor facing up. No, I don't need it because I actually have Rob's face right here. The difference is the reason you see me look this way, right? Sometimes, And as I'm looking this way, I'm not looking so I can see Rob's face. What I'm doing is, because I actually have Rob's face right in front of me, right? So I am looking at Rob right here on the monitor right in front of me when I'm talking to Rob. But the camera 
that Rob sees me through. Rob doesn't see me from this camera because this camera is being used to stream. Rob sees me through a different camera that's actually mounted uh, over here on, on this laptop here that you can't really see very well right now. But that's the camera Rob sees. So when you see me turn and look over here, I'm not looking over there so I can see Rob's face. Rob's face is right in front of me. Rob's face is right in front of me. But I'm turning so Rob can see me making eye contact with him. So that's why, yeah, I always have Rob right in front of me. I can look straight forward and I can see Rob, but I will look this way sometimes so Rob can see me looking right at him. So that's that's how that one works at any rate. Uh, th thanks for asking the question, though, man. All right, next up. Uh, wrong thing there. Hold on a second. Let me get this uh, back up. There we go. Uh, next up. That was the film guy. We have uh, Scott Brown writes. Uh, you were talking about Don Cheadle the other day, and I wanted to recommend uh, Black Monday on Showtime. It's about the stock market crash that happened in the 1980s, and it's absolutely hilarious. Might be better than House of Lies. Ooh, those are big words, man. Those are big words. There are three seasons out now. I'm not familiar with it, and I'm a big Don Cheadle fan. I'm not even familiar with it. Thank you very much, Scott, for putting that on our radar. All right, Patrick writes, Lucifer season six is the best Lucifer season in my opinion. While the whole season was really great and so was the finale, my favorite episode is episode six. The last scene with the singing goosebumps and tears, a fantastic season to end an awesome show. You know what? I haven't watched Lucifer yet. I haven't watched Lucifer season six yet. Now, obviously you guys know I love Lucifer. It's one of my favorite shows on TV. But Lucifer is also one of those shows that Ann and I will have to watch together. And we haven't been able to watch it together yet. Tonight, because Ann's been really busy with work, because you guys know Ann works with Apple. And Apple and she, they've been working really overtime building up to today's big Apple event. But it's today. And it's now done. So Ann now has some breathing room. She and I are just going to relax at home tonight and we're going to binge all of Lucifer season six. So I haven't watched it yet, but we're going to watch it tonight. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, Patrick. Uh, Merrick uh, writes, Merrick writes, Merrick writes, Hey, John and friends. I absolutely love when you and Rob do the nerd that knows everything voice. It makes me giggle every time. John and Rob, do you guys have any new movies you're working on currently or in the future? If so, uh, please tell us pretty please. Um, I don't Rob obviously right now, most of his time is being taken up at the moment with Tango Shalom. And again, if you live anywhere near where Tango Shalom is going to be playing, go and look, uh, go and work on that. Go and uh, see that. I do have a project that I am currently working on um, behind the scenes. Um, I'm trying to think about what I can say right now and what I can't. Uh, I can tell you this. It's a movie that I will not be directing, which is great because I, I really thought the next movie I get involved with, I just want to produce. I just want to act as a producer. So there's a movie I'm working on. We're just in the very, very early, early beginning stages. Um, and I have working with somebody else that I am very excited to be working with. Very, very, very excited to be working with. I can't wait to tell you guys who it is. Um, but I am working behind the scenes right now. Uh, again, very, very early, 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 early preliminary stages. 
um, that I'm going to be producing. It's about a subject matter that I'm very excited about. And uh, hopefully within the next, hopefully within the next three or four months, hopefully within the next three or four months, we'll be at a stage where I can actually let you guys know a little bit more and let you not know about who it is I'm working with and stuff like that. But it's, it's somebody I'm very excited about and it's a subject matter I'm very excited about. But again, we're not really at a place where we can talk much about it for now, but do keep your ears open. Keep your ears open. Thanks for asking, Merrick. I, uh, Merrick, I appreciate that. All right. Next up, Dwayne Jackson writes, Hello, John and friends. I read that Halloween Kills will now be day and date release. Yeah, we talked about this on the John Campus show last week. Day and date release on October 15th and streaming on Peacock. With this move, uh, with this move, like this, how bad, with this move, like this, how bad will hurt its box office chances if it stayed theatrical only instead of day and date release? Oh, it's going to massively hurt its box office. Yeah. It's going to absolutely hurt its box office. Even cripple it. Now, the one thing is, the one thing working in its in its favor right now is, for Peacock, I, there are very few people that are actually signed up paid members of Peacock. Because remember, there are different levels to Peacock. There's a free level, which is what the vast majority of the people who use Peacock, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are the free level users. They're not actually signed up paid users. So if people want to watch Halloween kills on Peacock, they're going to actually have to sign up and for the paid level service. So that's a little bit different than HBO Max is if you're already an HBO Max member and you're already a paid member, which a lot of people are, then you're just going to be able to watch it. So for Peacock, it's a little bit different. So that'll work in its phaser, but still, it's definitely going to hurt it, Dwayne. It's definitely going to hurt it. All right, next up. Ryan, uh, Ryan Loner writes, As the Dear Evan Hansen reviews come in, I have to ask, why are we all pretending it's some big new thing that sometimes actors in their 20s play teenagers? I have to think these people's heads would explode if they saw a movie called Grease. Yeah, but Grease is, what, 50 years old? I can't, I, I can't remember when Grease came out. What, what is Grease? 40 years old, 50 years old, something like that, whatever. Yeah, I get it. But that was in a different era. That was in a, a much, much different era. I think it gets made a big deal today uh, because more and more, like we've seen them moving away from using much, much older actors in younger and younger roles. I mean, that was more prominent a few decades ago, but as the years progress, we see Hollywood has moved more and more towards getting their actors younger and younger to play the younger characters. Do we still get adults playing teenagers? Absolutely. The difference is, uh, because what is what is the name of the guys in the live chat? Throw in, what is the name of the guy who plays, who's going to be playing dear, uh, Evan Hansen? What is something Platt? What's his name again? And how old is he? Okay. Um, what is his actual name and how old is he again? So go ahead and fire that in. It's Ben Platt and his age is 28. Okay. Here's the difference. What somebody could say is, well, John... Ben Platt is just 27 or 28 years old. But, you know, Tom Holland, 
Tom Holland's like 25. That's not that big of an age difference between Tom Holland and Ben Platt. And Tom Holland's playing a high school character in Peter Parker. Yes. But the issue isn't how old is Ben Platt. The issue is how old does Ben Platt look? That's the issue. Tom Holland, he can play a high school student and be pretty convincing. That's going to be harder and harder as he gets older. Yes, but he doesn't look that old. Ben Platt looks like he's 40. And he just does. He looks like he's 40. So to me, it's not about how old Ben Platt is. It's how old does Ben Platt look? And he ain't looking like he belongs in high school. Like Tom Holland, he can look like he's a high school student. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's not much of a stretch. Like Ben Platt looks like he should be having a walker going through the high school. Eh, hello, fellow kiddies. You know, it's just, yeah, I think, I think that's the thing. I just, I think that's, that's the, uh, I think that's why there's an issue there. But anyway, that's, that's just me again. Listen, I think the movie's going to be great. I'm very much looking forward to it and I'll suspend my disbelief. Okay. It's an older guy playing a high school student. Yes. That's a little bit weird, but that's the suspension of disbelief. Just like when you're watching Superman, you got to wait. People can't fly. Okay. Suspension of disbelief. He's an alien who can fly fine. But before I see the movie, it is a little bit weird. All right, next up. Uh, McKeel writes, I'm going to miss Lucifer, and I'm thankful that it lasted this long. This last season is probably my favorite one. What a beautiful season from start to finish. Well, I'm very excited to hear people saying that they're really liking this season of Lucifer. Again, Ann and I are going to watch it tonight. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm very excited that a lot of you guys uh, have watched it and are liking it, and thank you for giving me uh, an update on that. All right, next up. Uh, possible entertainment news rights manifest final season ended today, uh, explaining its mysteries in a logical and satisfying way that brought full circle closure to the story in a completely unrelated story. YouTube pundit, Robert Meyer Burnett was hospitalized after suffering cardiac arrest. I was about to say no manifest hasn't finished. I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob has got this weird love hate relationship with manifest. He, Rob actually coined the phrase. I, I, I'm sure it was around before, but I'd never heard the phrase hate watch. Hate watch. I've never, I've never heard that phrase before until Rob <laughs> talked about it. He goes, yeah, I hate watch manifest. So he watches it religiously, but I hate something watch. Anyway, it's, it's kind of weird. Anyway, thanks for sharing that dude. All right. Next up. Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, have you seen this film, Love and Monsters? Yes, I finally did. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, Keep watching two or three times a week. Uh, Story of a boy who travels 85 miles to see a girl, and during his travels, he has to deal with giant insects, frog, and a slug slowly chasing. Uh, You know if a sequel's coming. I haven't heard any news about a sequel, but it's a really fun, it's a little bit of a zombie land kind of movie. He has to travel to find a girl after this insect apocalypse, like an asteroid or something turned like all insects into these giant monsters and it's caused an apocalypse. And he finds out his, he, his girlfriend is still alive, but he can't travel there to see her because it's too dangerous. Then he decides he's going to go see her. He gets there. She's involved with somebody else. Uh, then there's some stereotypical, and it's a really good little movie. It's a really good little movie. 
I, but I have not personally, I have not heard about there being a sequel. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Next up, Justin writes, uh, Hey John, Apple TV plus released the pro shot of come from away the Broadway musical about Newfoundland on nine 11. Oh, neat. Would love to know your thoughts on it. If you get a chance to watch the film performance. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but you know, one of the, it's not talked a lot about in the States, but one of the true great humanity stories coming out of 9-11 was the way this little town in Newfoundland, Canada, where when a lot of planes that were in the air couldn't fly into American airspace, obviously American airspace got locked down and they all had to land, a whole bunch of them had to land in this little town in Newfoundland. And all these Canadian families going to the airport because now there was all these Americans that were stranded and all these Canadian families going to the airport and organizing and taking families home to their own homes and putting them up in their own homes while they had to wait it out. It's truly one of the best humanity stories coming out of uh, 9-11. It's really great. So I heard that they were doing something, but I have not watched that yet myself. I have not watched it. So I'll keep my eyes open for that. Thanks for reminding me about that, Justin. All right, next up. Um, a silly goose writes, sorry for all the Lord of the Rings comments lately. Oh, I don't mind. I can talk Lord of the Rings all day. I can't help it. There's just so much to say. Saw, saw the extended two towers in the theater today. And it was bananas. Got chills when the writers of Rohan showed up with Gandalf at the battle of Helm's deep. First of all, everything about Rohan, everything about Rohan in Lord of the Rings is just pure badassery. Everything about the writers of Rohan is just pure badassery. Two Towers is, I mean, look, every single one of the Lord of the Rings films was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That has only happened with one other trilogy, I believe. It has only happened with one other trilogy where every single one of the three movies in a trilogy got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Do, do any of you guys in the live chat, let's wait to see if one of you guys in the live chat know what that other one is. One was Lord of the Rings. So Fellowship of the Rings, Two Towers, and Return of the King all got nominated for Best Picture. It's only happened one other time. No, Zach, it was not Matrix. Jay Pert was the first one to put it in. Godfather. That's right. Uh, Jay, Arun, Mark, Chris, uh, Megatron, uh, uh, Dad Boy, and a bunch of others got it as well. But the first one to get it was uh, Zach. Uh, God, so Godfather and Lord of the Rings are the only two trilogies in history where all three films got nominated for Best Picture. Of course, two of the Godfathers won, Return of the King run, but all three of them are magnificent. All three Lord of the Rings films are absolute cinematic masterpieces, magnificent. Uh, I love them. They're fantastic. And I could talk Lord of the Rings all day, all day, silly goose, all day. All right. Next one up, and this will be the last one we cover today, guys. Uh, Jonathan writes, let me describe John's nightmare. Uh, Bob Chapek, I need a new head for this department. Adam Aaron, fresh off of bankrupting AMC. I'll join you. And together, Chapek and Aaron burn Disney to the ground while eating ketchup on eggs. Yeah, that's that's pretty much. Now, look, uh, it it is so weird being a part of this space. Because. Let's face it, sometimes we film fans, and I'll include myself in this, sometimes we film fans are not the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, and some film fans believe you have to have absolute blind loyalty. Like, if you like 
Disney, you have to like everything about Disney. Like John, if you are actually John, John, I already saw some comments today. John, if you're a fan of the MCU, you have to like the, the Hawkeye trailer. If you're a fan, you have to like the Hawkeye. If you don't like the Hawkeye trailer, you're not a real fan. <laughs> Fucking morons. Morons. No, you're a fan of something when you acknowledge the great things about it and the bad things about it and are a fan anyway. That's what real fandom is. Real fandom is not sticking your head in the sand and pretending everything is perfect. That's not what real fandom is. And by the way, I'm not not trying to criticize anybody who does like the Hawkeye trailer. Almost everybody likes the Hawkeye trailer, which is great. I'm, I'm the lone guy on the island from this one. I acknowledge that. But, you know, I can see it already. Well, John, why are you criticizing the CEO of Disney? Because, you know, I've been very critical of Bob J. Peck. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. I thought you were a fan of Disney. Well, I am a fan of Disney. Why are you criticizing the CEO? I'm criticizing the CEO because I'm a fan of Disney. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm the biggest fan in the world of Toronto Maple Leafs. But I will talk to you all day about the weaknesses of the Toronto Maple Leafs because I love them so much. But I'll talk to you all day about their weaknesses. All day. That's See, that's the one area that sports fans are more evolved than movie fans are. Because sports, sport, sports fandom's been around longer than, than film fandom. But sports fandom knows that just because you love a team doesn't mean you pretend everything is perfect about that team. Like, the most passionate fans will be the ones complaining the most about the weaknesses and the gaps in their teams. And I am a Disney fan. I am. I'm totally a Disney fan. But... The Bob, the way it's that company's being run right now, I find very, very concerning. And it's all because of the guy who's running it, Bob Chapek. Now, look, I still will give Bob Chapek as a fan. I will still give him some some slack because he is still relatively new in the job. He took over the job under very, very difficult circumstances with the global pandemic, all the parks being closed and the movie theaters being closed. And. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. So I am still going to give him a little bit of hope. But I have been very discouraged by, frankly, the absolute moronic way he has run this company so far. Uh, And I'm not just talking about, oh, putting movies on Disney Plus. No, no. When I even look at how he restructured everything, he took all the power away from the creatives. He gave power to the administrative Minutemen in the company and his yes men. He elevated people who've been loyal to him to have like power positions like over Kevin Feige and things like that. It's just, I just think it's been an absolute train wreck the way. And and if he doesn't learn and if he doesn't evolve and if he doesn't get better, he's going to run this company into the ground eventually. But I am still going to hold out hope and I'm still going to cheer for him that he can turn this thing around. So, yeah, I just I just get so tired, guys. I get so tired of when, like, we're talking about Loki and an episode of Loki hits, and I go, man, that was a bad episode of Loki. And then getting all these people, oh, you can't say that if you're a fan. Yes, you can. You totally can, and you totally should. And it, this isn't just a Marvel thing. It's DC, too. Like, it doesn't matter how big of a fan you are of of DC properties. If you say something negative, then all of a sudden a bunch of DC fans are, you're a hater of DC. No, I just think they did something dumb here. 
And just like Marvel does dumb things. But yes, you're right. That would be my nightmare because the only guy who's more incompetent at his job than Bob Chapek is, is Adam Aaron, uh, the CEO of AMC. The CEO of AMC. You know what this jackalope did, Adam Aaron? Let's, 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 let me be real with you for a second here. Let me be real with you a second. The only reason AMC is still in business right now is because of that whole fluke stock thing that happened where a bunch of guys on Reddit said, let's meme this stock, dudes. And they all, and they artificially inflated the stock price of AMC and blah, blah, blah. It had nothing to do with the leadership of Adam Aaron. Let's be very, very clear about that. AMC is still in existence today because they got ass backward lucky that that Reddit thing happened and their stock prices artificially inflated and blah, blah, blah. If it wasn't for that, this company may be out of business right now. Meanwhile, I'm at, I'm at CinemaCon and this guy, Adam Aaron gets up at the podium, talks about, you know, people said they were, they, they counted us out, but here we are and we've got billions in the bank. And I'm like, I want it. Seriously. I wanted to make a scene at CinemaCon. I wanted to stand up and say, hey, asshole, that had nothing to do with you. And he's standing up there as if like his big, his big, great leadership led AMC through the storm and they were able now to have all this money that had nothing to do with you. That had everything with you getting ass backwards lucky and it saved your ass. And then this jackalope is up there talking about I kid you not, I'm talking about AMC right now, and an AMC notification just came up on my on my screen. I kid you not. It was it's for my AMC A-list app. It's something totally different, but that's kind of funny. Anyway, then this jackalope is up there at the point of talking about how, oh, you know, the strength of our things is our is our teams and our workers. And I'm like, hey, asshole, aren't you the same guy that let that uh, laid off 30,000 workers and then gave yourself a nine million dollar bonus? Anyway, sorry. I and I love AMC. I do. AMC is my favorite movie theater company. They are my movie theater going choice. When I'm going to the movies, I want to go to an AMC theater. If I can't, I'm more than happy to go to a Regal or a Cinemark or any of these other great theaters I am. But normally, AMC is my home theater. That's where I like to go. And obviously, I worked with AMC for a lot of years. And I still have people there that I hold in very high esteem and that I really like. But oh my God, oh my God, the CEO of AMC is like vile, in my opinion, just absolute vile. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he makes Bob Chapek look like a genius, but hey, that's just my opinion. That's just, that's just me. That's just me. But yeah, I, I think this guy is going to destroy AMC theaters. I think long-term this guy's going to destroy AMC theaters. But uh, it is what it is. So, yes, Jonathan, my big nightmare is Bob Chapek saying, hey, I need a new lieutenant. And he hires Adam Aaron away from AMC. Yeah, that would be that would totally be my nightmare. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here today, guys. By the way, I uh, just want to remind you, there are still more questions to come from Jonathan. Um, lots of Jonathan, apparently. Whole tons of Jonathan. Uh, Christopher... 
uh, Dr. Nova and others. Do not worry, guys. We are going to do a companion video today. I, I know we were going to do one earlier in the weekend, and we weren't able to post it up until yesterday. There was technical issues. We apologize for that, that Rob's companion video got up days later than we anticipated. But we got that up. We got it all taken care of. We did today's show, and now we're going to do another companion video later today, so keep your guys' eyes open for that. Once again, guys, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to Robert for being here and bringing his glory and goodness to the show. Big thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved at the show, thank you guys so very much for that support. Remember to do the four main things, guys. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take, pe take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.